Go ahead and uh, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Ecclesiastes. We'll pick up where we left off a while back, chapter 7, verse 23. And uh, to uh, those who may be watching by live stream, uh, we welcome you. We miss you being here. Uh, Rick reminded me that uh, Chip and Kathy Harrison, they watch us all the time and um, had some comments about the sermon this morning. I appreciate that. And there are others who do that as well. And that's a kind of a great blessing, a great benefit. But I also want to say to you, thank you for being here tonight. There are a lot of churches that just kind of punt on Super Bowl Sunday and don't even try to have a service. But I appreciate you wanting your testimony to be that you love the Lord more than you love football. Nothing wrong with loving football. But when you love football more than you love the Lord, we got a problem, don't we? And so uh, thank you for that. Ecclesiastes 7. And um, let's think about living as Solomon did in what I'm going to call Disappointment Valley. This is a guy who had all the potential in the world. Raised in the palace. He uh, doubtless um, watched and observed his dad, who was the standard for kings in Israel, David. Think about all that he would learn. Think about all that he would experience. Can you imagine singing so many of the songs that they would sing in worship? And he would go, my dad wrote that. My dad wrote that. And can you imagine being able to read one of David's psalms and say, hey, dad, what was this about? I don't understand this. Or what was the circumstance behind this? And to be able to have David, the sweet singer of Israel, be able to explain those things to you. That was Solomon's life. Privilege, luxury, all of that kind of stuff. Being mentored, being chosen by God to be the king, the successor to David. All of those kind of things. And think about what it must have been like. When the Lord came to Solomon and said, ask me anything. And Solomon says, it shows kind of a degree of wisdom that he had before God gave him the gift of wisdom. He said, give me wisdom that I might be able to rule your people. And God said, because you've asked for that, I'm going to give you that and so much more. As God so often does, he blesses us and gives us more than we even know that we need. But Solomon did what so many people do. He squandered his life and he squandered the gift that God had given him. And in some ways, the wisest man to ever live made a, made a fool out of himself, didn't he? And he tells us in these verses kind of what his pursuit was. And I'm afraid that the application of this message is going to be to us. So many times... We take what God gives us and we pursue the gift instead of pursuing the giver of the gift. In fact, as I was reading, studying for our Sunday school lessons on the Beatitudes, Martin Lloyd-Jones made a, a preacher that lived in England a few decades ago. Um, he made the point that when we read, blessed are the, we stop at blessed. And when we read that, we go, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be blessed and we don't get the rest of the verse because we're really not interested in being in pursuit of Christ we're wanting whatever Christ can give without any consequence or without any type of commitment or devotion just pour it out on me because we love the gift more than we love the giver 
And maybe as we think about that, reading these verses, maybe we see just a little bit of Solomon in that light. And maybe we see a whole lot of us in that same light. So let's uh, go to the scripture and let's take a look and see what Solomon has to say and uh, what we can learn from this tonight. And it says in Ecclesiastes 7.23, All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know, to search, and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, and look what he's tackling, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness, insanity. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, like handcuffs. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, that's Solomon, adding one thing to another or comparing things to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. Here it is. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this is only, this only have I found, I have found, that God made a man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And that's a way of saying that man started well. Think about Adam, think about Eve in the garden. And then what happened to them? It's been a downward spiral ever since. Well, these are some intriguing verses. And uh, reading through that without much explanation, if I were a woman, I think I'd be offended. So I'm glad Solomon said this instead of me. Um, what in the world is he talking about in these verses? It almost seems like a bit of a riddle. Where is he going with this? He goes, I said to myself, I will be wise. Well, I thought he was already wise. And what I believe he's talking about here is there's the wisdom that God gave him and that was never enough for Solomon. Solomon was always in pursuit of more. Now there's a certain part of that that we can admire. We all want more of God's grace. We all want more knowledge of the Holy One, as A.W. Tozer put it. We all want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. But I think Solomon, what he was doing, is saying something like this. What God gave, it's okay but it's not enough. I want to go beyond what God has revealed. I want to go beyond what God has gifted. And people push the envelope into the realm of, of error, into the realm of deception, into the realm of false doctrine, those type of things. And people still do that today. I think the secular humanist does this because they push aside the word of God, and they say there must be a different, a better reason, a better explanation. And so they come up with Darwinism. And nothing plus nothing, according to them, equals everything. And they don't see the hand of God in anything that takes place. 
I was uh, listening to a radio show the other day. It was a secular thing. And somebody called up and said, I'm just having trouble finding my purpose in life. That's a big thing right now, right? Purpose in life. I ask you a question. How in the world would there be any purpose in life if you are the product of random chance in evolution? Makes no sense. To have purpose means that there's a creator, there's a designer, there's someone that made you. But if you do not have a God who made you, no one who formed you, and you're just an accident of billions of years of mutations, how in the world do you have any purpose in life? And maybe the reason our world and our culture is struggling so much with that is because, like Solomon, instead of going to the Word of God and finding out what a holy, sovereign God has said, we go, well, there's got to be more to it than that. And we step out of bounds. And we go further than God intended for us to go. And we come up with all kinds of weird, unreasonable, illogical things that steal the joy of our life. As we said this morning, that because men and women are made in the image of God, it means that life is sacred. Well, what does that mean then if we're not made in the image of God? What if there is no God? And what if everything we see in the universe is nothing but an accident, a cosmic mistake? And we are the products of that. And we just, well, as they would say, we got lucky to be at the top of the chain. What does that do to young people? What does that do to people in their sense of destiny and their sense of morality or any of those kind of things? And it destroys it and it takes away the value in human life. Talk about leading to frustration and to disappointment. And I think that's what Solomon did. Instead of settling in on what God said, there has to be more. I'm going to go further. I'm going to seek it in different places. And what happened to him, his life ended up in the valley of disappointment. Well, what can we learn from reading these verses? Well, here's number one. We need to come to a place where we acknowledge where we went wrong. Solomon is telling us here, this was the deal. I said, I will be wise. That self-determined, I'm going to do it. I can do it myself, and I'm going to push it as far as I can go. And some of us have been guilty of exactly the same thing, and we continue on. Solomon's problem was that when he sinned, he sinned more and more and more, and he didn't really come to his senses until the end of his life. And he ends up with no time to fix most of this, and he ends up reaping the consequences of it, like uh, it says in other places, you sow the wind, but you reap the whirlwind, because it always comes back stronger than you thought it was going to come back. And Solomon looks at this, and he says, this is where I got off track. This is where I got off base. All this I approved by wisdom, and I said, I will be wise. You see, there's a wisdom that's given by God, and then there's another wisdom that the book of James tells us is not a wisdom that comes from above. Remember that? He says it's wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And if you push that and you go into that realm, what are you going to get? Confusion, 
heartache, disappointment, disillusionment. That's the world in which we live. And for a believer, that is a sad, sad, sad state of affairs because we're to live in faith and confidence and hope. And that all comes, of course, from God's revelation in his word. So Solomon is telling us there where he had the gift that God had given him and he started pursuing the gift more than he did the giver of that gift. Wisdom was the important thing to him, not God. Knowing things was important to him, not the knowledge of the holy. Secondly, notice this. Accept the fact that you will never understand everything. Whether you're you or whether you're Solomon. Whether you're a person that knows very little and just lives a simple life. Or whether you have multiple PhDs. Here's the thing. You're never going to understand everything. And Solomon, in his pursuit of this, that was kind of a frustration for him. There were things he wanted to know. And he kind of wanted to be able to figure out the unknowable. Now, there's a lot of pride in that. A lot of things that we look at where we say, no one else has ever known this. No one else has figured this out. God has not revealed this but I think I'll be able to get it. I think I'll be able to figure it out. In fact, notice what he delves into. But it was far from me, the wisdom, because, again, there's just some things that are inexplicable in this life. Verse 24, as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? And I applied my heart to know. In other words, I pursued it anyway. To search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. Well, there's nothing particularly wrong or sinful in that. Medical science has uh, benefited all of us so much because we look beyond things that our ancestors knew or that people before us knew. Nothing wrong necessarily in that. But look what he's delving into. To know the wickedness of folly. Now, what is he speaking of there? The reason for wickedness, the reason for folly. Note of this, even out of foolishness and madness. There Solomon is, back in that time, trying to explain things that centuries later we still can't explain. Can you figure out how the brain works? If you could, you could solve Alzheimer's, but we can't. And we have people that, um, like my grandmother, that they forget everything, and that takes them even to the point of death. We're working on that, putting a lot of money into that, and it doesn't matter where you're my uneducated grandmother or a president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. What happens? The same thing. And doctors treat, and doctors work, and doctors do research, but some things are still mysteries. And even if we are able to find that out and cure it, and I hope we do, I mean, that would be a wonderful thing, there are still going to be things that are going to be far from us, above us, and beyond us that only God knows. And Solomon found the frustration of being in pursuit of knowledge apart from God and apart from knowing God and loving God, away from the boundaries that God had set, even to the point of trying to find out things that there's no explanation for, uh, things that only God knows. And Solomon found that not as a comfort to rest in God, which was where we should go, 
But he found that as a frustration that pushed him even farther from God. Too smart for their own good. You ever heard that saying? People that have more degrees than a thermometer and yet they don't have any common sense or street smarts. And uh, somebody said one time that when you find yourself in a hole, the wisest thing you can do is stop digging. Some went out. And the bad thing about Solomon is the more he found himself in a hole, the deeper he dug. I want to just encourage you tonight not to be like him. That's why the Holy Spirit put this book that has so many things that are foolish and carnal and weird. Why would the Holy Spirit authorize that to be written and put into the eternal uh, word of God? Because you and I need to learn from that because we've got a whole lot more Solomon in us than we would like to admit. I remind you of one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is what I quote whenever someone asks me a question I can't answer. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And I usually stop there. But Moses doesn't. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are some things we're never going to know. They belong to God. Some reasons. The way things work. There are mysteries. And there always, always will be mysteries. But there are things that God has revealed to us. And I think Mark Twain was right when he said, It's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand. And sometimes we want to ignore the simple and ignore the plain and ignore the practical and we want to move on into the theoretical and we want to start asking questions that are not answered that only are known in the mind of God. And we want to dwell on those things instead of dwelling on the practical. There's, there's something where if I could sit down with Solomon, I would, I would love to be able to tell him, listen, brother... If you would just concentrate on what you know about being a good husband, I don't know how you do that with a thousand women, but if you could concentrate on being a good father, if you could concentrate on truly worshiping and getting to know God and using your wisdom to understand not the mysteries, but the things that God has revealed in his word, in his law. That's what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says. There are some things we're never going to know, but what God has revealed, he has given to us in his word, and that word is to help us obey his law, to live by his principles, to understand him, to not only know his works, but to know his ways. Wouldn't you think that would change everything in Solomon's life? But that wasn't really the pursuit that he was after, going above and going beyond, had more important things to do than just obey the word of God. In fact, Romans 16, 19 is an intriguing verse because it says, for your obedience has become known to all. Now listen to this. Listen carefully. Therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise. Wise in what is good. And simple concerning evil. Wise in what is good. And simple concerning evil. But so many people today are in pursuit of evil. Even in church, there are people that are more intrigued 
by what the devil and demons are doing, what the occult says, and yet they yawn at what God does. There are people that want to know about every cult, every false religion to the nth degree. Nothing wrong with being informed, but some people are intrigued by all of that, and yet they know very little of the Word of God. There are some people that know all of the philosophers and they know all of the scientists and they know all of these things that are going on but they can't figure out how to love their wife as Christ loved the church. They can't figure out how to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They can't figure out how to defeat the enemy and how to conquer sin and how to live a godly life. They're all out there and they are knowledgeable about evil. They have to know everything that's in the world. They have to know everything about every celebrity. They pour over People magazine and those kind of things. They watch everything they can on TV about anything that is ungodly. But when you ask them about the Bible or something about theology, they stammer and they stutter and they're ignorant about all of it. It tells us where our heart is. And if your heart is leaning that way to where you know everything about sports... Little about God. Everything about the entertainment industry and little about God. Where your heart beats fast and you get excited about something that's on TV and yet you yawn at reading your Bible every day and hearing from God through His Word. There's something wrong. You see, we become wise in evil things because we're scared to death of being naive. And yet that's exactly what Paul said we ought to strive to be. Simple concerning evil and wise concerning the good. Now, I've heard an old saying that says some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And they say that is wrong. I think I would tend to agree with them. We are here on this earth to be in the world but not of the world. We are here to be salt and we are here to be light. But my thing is after 30 some years of ministry... I have never found a single person that was that heavenly minded. In fact, the Bible would contradict that because in the book of Colossians, Paul says, set your mind on things above. That's interesting. And yet the world has so infiltrated us, we think it's all about us. It's all about now. It's all about here. It's all about making it now. And we don't really think about or live for eternity and folks you're going to live a whole lot longer in heaven than you ever live on earth somebody say amen to that and we've got to be preparing for eternity life is short but eternity is long and we're going to rule and reign with our Lord let's obey him and let's figure out what he wants the world will never approve of us I get a little weary of politicians some of them that I vote for and they go to Washington and they seem to change And one of the things that I've noticed that changes them is they think that when the press criticizes them, if we can show the press, oh, no, I'm not a racist. Oh, no, I'm not a misogynist. Oh, no, I'm not any of these things that the press will like them. Well, I'm an old man now, and I've watched this for decades. You know what happens? The press is never going to like someone who is a conservative. Period. So you might as well get over it. And just be who you were supposed to be. And who you were elected to be. And who cares what they think. 
Now, that's my political frustration. You know what I also find out? There's a lot of Baptists. We live our lives so that the world won't think that we're weird. We live our lives trying to show the world Christianity is relevant, up to date, and it is cool. And if the world could only see how cool we are, how slick we are, how entertaining we are, how relevant we are to this world in which we live. Folks, this world can't even figure out where they are. It doesn't take but about five years, about five years, studies say, for a person to be cool and relevant and uh, on topic in the world, to be on all of the news shows, to be on all of the tabloids and all of that, and then to be forgotten. Only about five years. Because this world is changing so fast that even the people of the world can't keep up with all of the changes. And they can't keep in step with all of those. Why are we trying so hard to do that? Because we are wise concerning evil, right? And we're simple concerning good. When God has told us what we ought to do, and he's given us his word, and we are to be blessed by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and there's a promise, there's a promise in that. For they and they alone shall be filled. You hungry in your soul? You're never going to find it in the pursuit of things, in the pursuit of money, in the pursuit of popularity, in the pursuit of all the various hobbies that we have and all of the things that the world dangles in front of us. That's what Solomon found. And he ended up, and you will too, in the valley of disappointment when he became an old man. Let's move along. Thirdly, analyze your sin's root. Now, one of the things that used to frustrate me when my dad would put in a big garden is he would uh, have me go out there and uh, pull weeds. Any of you like to pull weeds? Why do weeds grow where they're not supposed to grow? Why does Bermuda grass grow where it's not supposed to grow? And if you try to kill Bermuda grass, it grows better. And if you try to ignore it, it takes over. Why does stuff grow in cracks in sidewalks? You know, we're growing the wrong stuff. We ought to grow the easy things, right? And uh, yet it's just difficult. And part of, the hard, part of the thing that is so hard is when I was a kid, I would go pull the weeds. And you know what I would do? I would pull the tops off of them. And then I'd spread dirt over it. And it looked like, you know, I'd taken a hoe and worked it really good and uh, all of that. You know what happened? In just a few days... The truth would come out. Because when you don't get the root of something, what happens? It grows back. And there are so many times in our Christian life, we try to just kind of chop, chop the top off of our sin, and we don't really deal with the root causes of it. And then we wonder why we're so frustrated. We don't really deal with the bitterness in the heart. We don't really deal with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And we let those principles operate in us and all we do is cover it up so that the church people don't see it. There are things that people will say out in the world that they would never say in church. Well, let me say, number one, I appreciate that. 
But let me say number two, that's never going to really help you or sanctify you or get you to where you want to be. You need to talk to someone. You need to get with God first of all. You need to apply the principles of his word. And you probably need some accountability. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. You probably need to talk to somebody who can hold you accountable, who can help you, who can step you through it. But most of the time we're content. As long as nobody knows, I'm cool. Well, the truth of the matter is you know and you're deceiving yourself. That's kind of stupid when you think about it. To fool yourself, to fool yourself when you know better. Secondly, I would remind you that the devil knows. And all of the demons assigned to you to intimidate you, to harass you, to trip you up. They know, they know. And most importantly, understand this. Your heavenly father who loves you with an everlasting love sent his son to die on the cross for you. He knows. And that sin that you harbor in your heart, just trying to cover up, costs Jesus his very life. And even worse than that, caused the Father and the Holy Spirit to turn their backs on God the Son. And he went through that hell for you, out of love for you. And yet you harbor and cherish something that you hold in your heart more than you love Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. What is that saying? And what does that really reveal about us and our character and our walk with God? And it may, it may mean that you're a false convert. Don't just blow that off. The Bible says that we are to make our calling and election sure. We are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And if your life is that superficial... And that's the depth of your Christian walk, just covering up where nobody sees you doing anything wrong. You may well need to be saved. Consider that. And you may be a true believer, a born-again believer, and you're wearing a mask. You're covering things up instead of dealing with the root. And you're frustrated because sin seems to keep coming back and coming back. Where is the victory in Jesus? Where is the power that overcomes this kind of thing? And it may be because you're cutting off the tops and you're not really pulling up the root. Now, where do I get that out of this? Look at verse 26. And this I find more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and he's talking about here about an evil woman who is trying to entrap a man and that happens a lot and it happened to Solomon a lot as well he may have been talking about some of his wives or concubines who knows and he says his hands are like fetters now look at this he who pleases God shall escape her but the sinner is going to be ensnared by her. You know what Solomon is saying is, looking back on life, with the mistakes and the sins he committed, even sexual sins, the remedy for that was much more simple than he might think. Some people say, well, you can't control that. That's a, a drive that God has given, and you know that's the world we live in, and you know all of that kind of thing. But think about all of the heartache, and think about all of the regret, and think about all the pain that it causes. And people say, how do I get out of that? Here's Solomon's simple answer. Focus on pleasing God. When you're pleasing God, 
You're not filled with lust. When you're pleasing God, you're not going places you shouldn't go and doing things you shouldn't do. There's a separation that will take place. And uh, Solomon makes it really clear. Had I just focused on pleasing God. You see, it wasn't just the sexual sin. It just wasn't. Because in that, you can blame the woman. Well, that's what Adam did for his sin. And men have been doing that ever since. It was her. She seduced me. She was wanting this. And, you know, and I just complied. And now she's turned against me. Solomon says, no, it's not her fault. And it's not society's fault. It's not all of the technology that we have today. It's not their fault. The root of all of it simply boils down to this. At least at that particular moment, I did not want to please God. And if you and I can put our lives on pleasing God, what will happen is he'll take, the Holy Spirit will take the, the spade of the word of God and dig up the root. Painful? Yeah, especially if you let it go a long time. It's easier to pull up a little thing than it is something that is gone for a long time. But the Holy Spirit's capable of doing that through the Word of God. And set your heart and your mind on simply pleasing God. You want to uh, um, not be drunk this weekend? Then just please God. You want to not commit adultery this weekend? Then focus on pleasing God. You want to stop gossiping and slandering or lying? Then focus on pleasing God. I mean, this really is very, very, very simple. We do the things we do because we don't love God enough. It's what Solomon seems to be saying here. Boy, that's wise counsel. And he's um, approaching it from a guy who's been totally defeated and disappointed in all of this. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner will be trapped. Well, that's a, that's a good word, trapped. That's descriptive. Can you imagine walking along on a hike and stepping on something and being unaware of it and uh, one of those traps snaps, gets your ankle? Can you imagine what a, my, a mouse must think when they are just eating the cheese and snap? It's the last thing they hear. Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine the way sinners get trapped and they never intended to get trapped? I can handle this. I can get out of this any time that I want. I'm in control of everything that I do. That's the game. That's the game that is played. And the truth of the matter is they're trapped. They're ensnared by it. They're deceived by all of it. Think about everything you know in the Word of God about all of that. And what's the antidote for that? Just live a life that pleases God and seek after pleasing God more than you do His gifts or any of those things. Focus on Him. And that is so very hard to do. But it's the key and it's the issue. Let's finish up here. Number four. Apply sound doctrine to every area of life. Now, it's amazing how we can take so many different things that we learn. Um, let's just try something here. T-U-L-I-P. Anybody know what the T stands for? Oh, okay. What is U? Got to think on that one, right? Somebody said it. Unconditional election, yeah. What's L? Everybody knows L, yeah. Limited atonement. And I? 
Irresistible grace and P? Perseverance of the saints. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Now, how does that apply in any way, shape, or form to my everyday life? Because it's so easy to take that and take what the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God, say amen to it in here, and as soon as you walk out those doors over there, you lock it in here. Theology is not just for the church. Theology is for life. Theology is for the home. Theology is for work and school. Theology should shape everything that we do. Notice when Solomon writes these verses, there's something that he seems to have forgotten that we just confessed. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, the koaleth. Adding one thing to another, you know, comparing all of this, apples to apples, oranges to oranges, or maybe apples to oranges, who knows? He says, comparing these things to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. Solomon is saying, you know, you can be the wisest person, you can investigate everything, and here's the deal. When you gather people around you, even a thousand men, you may find one that you can really trust. You know what I think he was giving testimony to? His own servants. The people in his court. People that he invested in. I'm going to give you this like Pharaoh gave Joseph a job. I'm going to trust you with that. And then he found out later they were embezzling from him. Then he found out later they were abusing people with their power. And Solomon said, with all of these men that I've put around me, all of these men that I've given assignments to, all of these men that pledged and swore an oath of loyalty to me, their king. He said, I found about one in a thousand that really did their job. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Can you imagine being the president of the United States, called the most powerful person in the free world, and yet you have people serving all around you that leak things to the press to your detriment? People that sabotage things. They go to certain senators, certain congressmen, and they give things away that are going to sabotage your bill. Can you imagine how frustrating that might be? You think about different presidents that you know where the administration seemed to be stable. And then you read how many chiefs of staff that they had. I think uh, Jimmy Carter had like five or six chiefs of staff in his four-year term. Reagan changed them several times. So did both Bushes and so did Obama. Why? Because it's hard to find people that you can trust. That's what Solomon's saying. How come I can't find people that I trust? And then he says this one thing, and he says, and among a thousand women, I didn't even find one. Is that a blanket statement about women? No. The interesting thing is that term, a thousand. Do you remember how many wives and concubines Solomon had? A thousand. You know what Solomon is saying? Even among these women, women that I pursued, women that I thought I loved, Women that I married for political purposes, whatever. He said, even among a thousand. You see, uh, men would think the more, the more, the more, the more you can date, the more you can marry. The, uh, polygamy was never really the invention of women, I don't think. It's what men would do. And what happened when Solomon said, I had more than I could count. 
I had more than I could even remember their names. I had more than I could really uh, hope for in all of this. And what happened? Emptiness and disappointment because more is not necessarily better, is it? I remember reading one time about a man who was married to his wife for decades. And this man was a faithful man of God, and he had a friend that was just, you know, morally loose, slept with any woman that he could find, and he was the, you know, the Hollywood playboy type. And after a couple of decades, this man who seemingly had it all, money, fame, women, all of that kind of stuff, he came to this man and he said, I would give anything if I could trade places with you. And the guy goes, how is that? I don't have near your money. I don't have your popularity. I don't have your jet set lifestyle. And the man said, do you know what I would give to come home at night to a woman who actually loves me and cares about me instead of all of these others that I've had? I think Solomon would say, amen. I would give up all of them if I just had one love and commitment and a relationship that had any kind of depth. Because the truth of the matter is, if you've got a thousand concubines and wives, you're not going to have any depth of relationship with any one of them. You're not going to have a lot of them that really give a hoot about you or you about them. And Solomon said, in the pursuit of all of this, I found that whether it was in my personal life with all of the women, or whether it was in my kingly life, political life, with all of this, he said, you know what I found? Out of a thousand men, there's only really about one that I could trust. And out of all of these women that I acquired, that wasn't the answer. I didn't find anyone that really, really cared about me. You know what Solomon didn't put into life and plug into things? And a lot of you do the same thing. Total depravity of people. Why do we expect sinners not to act like sinners? Why do we allow ourselves to be buffaloed by people that we think, oh, they're the real deal, oh, they're perfect, and then we set ourselves up for disappointment? And sometimes that happens even among people that are truly saved. We find ourselves to where we were so tied up and in line with people that serving God becomes secondary. Being faithful to God becomes secondary. And so we're in this pursuit, person after person after person after person after person. And you know, in the course of your life, you may have known a thousand Christians and you may end up by saying, yeah, but there's only one who really made any difference in my life. Why did I follow so many different people around? Why did I think all of them had the answer when the truth of the matter is, if I'd just been faithful to the Word of God and trusted God, then when I saw people that fell, when they messed up, when they disappointed me, it really wouldn't have been a disappointment because I would have understood because of sound doctrine, sound theology, that's the way the world is that's the way people are. That's even the way churches are oftentimes. How do I know that? Because that's the way I am. Don't you find yourself sometimes being the Roman seven wretched man 
Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And there's only one answer, and that is Jesus Christ. Because we all find ourselves saying, I am going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. And the only thing we end up with is like Solomon who said, I will be wise. And then we hit the frustration of finding out there's only so much you can do. And Jesus put it like this. He said, and apart from me, ye can do nothing. And there's so many people that are going to end up when they get old having a nothing life. Because they didn't do it in the power of Jesus. They didn't do it for the glory of God. And like Solomon, they find themselves pursuing things that God didn't ordain and God didn't reveal. They find themselves dealing with their sin just in a superficial manner. They don't really get to the root of anything like that. And what happens to them? They end up at the end of their life, not on the mountaintop of victory, but in the valley of disappointment. And I just want to say to you, God has better things for you. Because in the book of Romans, Paul tells us about all of the things that God gives us in that fifth chapter. And he adds this one thing that God gives us hope. And hope does not disappoint. There's no shame in that. So let's go to Solomon's dad. And let's just ask this question. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted? In me. Hope thou in God. And when you look around at the news, when you look around at people, when you look around at the disappointments of life, don't, don't be surprised by any of that. Remember the T, total depravity. But look above that and look to your God who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray together, okay? Father, as we think about all the things we pursue and seek and long after, we find that they all fall short of this one thing, the pursuit of God. And David understood that. As much of a sinner as he was, there was one thing. He was a man after God's own heart. He was in pursuit of you above everything else. Solomon somehow didn't get the message. And a lot of us are not getting the message. And we think that there's that job, there's that person, there's that thing, there's all kinds of stuff out there. If we only could have that, then we'd be happy, only to find it slipping through our fingers and only to end up in the valley of disappointment. Oh, Father, deliver us from that. Deliver us from that. Let us love you and seek the gift instead of the giver and live a life that pleases you and pursue the Holy One, so that when we end our lives, we end it with joy and victory. And like Abraham, it said he died satisfied and full of years. That's my prayer for all of us. By your grace, let it happen. And thank you for being so patient and kind to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 